0: Whenever I was a school kid and I wouldn't do my schoolwork, they'll say, do you know how hard it was for me to get to this country? You should be grateful that you're here. There's young boys stuck in Afghanistan. We made it such a dangerous journey. Don't waste this opportunity. And I always took that to heart. I knew from then I couldn't waste my life. I have to become someone. I have to do something. I need to cause change in the world. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing.
1: You're listening to the Worldwide Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Jaz O'Hara, and together with some very special guests, we'll be taking you on a journey across the world without you having to go anywhere. We're here to amplify voices from the people leaving their countries and everything behind them, to the volunteers working alongside them. We'll be hearing from those currently living in refugee camps and people on the front line—the real heroes of today, the humans behind the statistics and the headlines. Join me as we transcend borders, nationalities, religions and languages to hear from the people with which we share this world, our worldwide tribe. This episode of the Worldwide Tribe podcast is dedicated to the people of Afghanistan. I recorded it in response to the devastating events that we have seen unfold there over the last few weeks as the Taliban has taken over the country. My guest this week is Rustam Wahab, a 19-year-old British Afghan who has single-handedly become the go-to source on Instagram for up-to-date information on the situation on the ground. Rustam has been running a popular British politics page on Instagram for a while, called UK Fact Check Politics. But just this week, his personal Instagram has grown from just a few thousand followers to a quarter of a million followers, as he tirelessly updates us there on what is happening in Afghanistan. I literally don't know how Rustam has slept in the last few weeks, as he has so effectively and continuously been posting as the situation has unfolded. I was therefore very grateful to him for taking the time out of his crazy week to come and see us for this conversation. I hit record as soon as he entered the room and before we'd even really sat down, because we got straight into talking about the topic, you'll hear that my boyfriend Josh is still in the room for the first few minutes before he makes us a cup of tea and leaves us to it. Ristam is incredible, and if he's doing this at 19, who knows what he'll be doing at 29, 39, or 49. I know I'm excited to find out.
0: People have emailed me saying, please, I need help. What can I do? And I can't help these people.
1: I've been having the same and just being like, I don't know what
2: to suggest.
0: That's like, your teammate. Do you want something to so um, I- No, I haven't got oh, water. I do good. No, I'm
1: good. Got you some water already. Here you go. Oh yeah, man, that must be, uh,
2: that's a lot to take, man. Like constantly, you know, like... With so many messages of people needing help all at once, that's a lot for you to hold.
0: Yeah. The thing is, as well, I'm a bit confused as well on what to do. So I, I emailed my MP until he finally replied. I've got maybe six or seven families, and it's still in Kabul that I haven't left. From my mum's side, I did three of those families because only three of them are like twenty people. So I thought if I do all my families, yeah, they're just
1: gonna be like they're
0: just gonna be like sorry, we can't. Many. It's too many. So I had to choose, and I chose um, from my mum's side. There's three families. Um, one of her sisters she has four young daughters so i, I had to choose it was literally picking it's like picking out from a hat really.
1: yeah it's like how do you prioritize wow. and, and 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 is that even going to help yeah i don't know what to suggest to people either like writing to your mps might speed it up but i don't know what it looks like actually and the thing is i called you. the home
0: office today i asked them for the forms so we can apply for asylum and I said they're not even out yet. They said the only th- thing we can provide you with is a Red Cross, a Red Cross link, the charity. And I was so, thinking, I was thinking, this is crazy. Like, you've it's been what nearly a week now. Yeah,
1: look how much you've done in a week. Yeah. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? They, Why, have, what are they, they, they doing? have like
0: hundreds of civil servants working for them, and they still haven't managed to get the scheme up. Like it's just incompetent. It's
1: incompetent, and it's just too little, too late, and too slow. Twenty thousand over five years. And Twenty thousand yeah. needs to happen now. now.
2: Now, yeah. And how? And how? How are you set there? Kind of using your time in a way that's like super productive, but also like surely they're the government—they have more people, they have more resources, they have more phones It's like, how is there not a quicker response?
0: Yeah, it's just. I mean, it's, it's crazy because you can't
2: buy that it's not possible, and you can't yeah. buy that it's because it's lack of resources or manpower. You just can't.
1: They've got the resources available. They can do it. They need to pull their finger out. It's
0: just, it's politics, really, you know.
1: It has um, been the whole time. I've been, like, working in the space for about six years, since Calais, and it was always the Afghans that had, like, the short end of the straw. They were always the ones who had suffered the most Mm -hmm. and were not being accepted, it, not just in the UK, but also in, like, I've got four brothers, four foster brothers from four different countries. They all sought asylum in England, and only my Afghan brother had to appeal and go through the process, like, multiple times. My Eritrean, Sudanese, and Libyan brother all got their asylum, and I don't understand that because it it's not reflective of what he'd been through. Yeah. The one positive thing that I can take from this is that, like, finally people are actually understanding the plight of of the afghan people and the awareness is going up and finally like people are actually taking note
0: yeah i feel the same way i feel like even the weeks leading up to it everyone knew was going to happen but there wasn't enough awareness you know around it Mm -hmm. and it was only when Kabul fell it started getting trendy and stuff and then everyone started jumping on the wagon
2: like,
1: I actually want to takes, talk to you all about that know, and like right, this last takes, week. So like, I don't want to talk okay. too much about yeah, it now it, with you it. here. <laughs> I, I
2: was going to shoot off and let you guys. But it's just, I know what you mean because it takes, it takes something to fall for us to see. It takes like the catastrophe to happen, the worst people, to happen, like have the urgency or the compassionate urgency to like really, you know, like you said. Yeah. These things
1: are... It's like Palestine as well. It's yeah, like it had its what moment. Is people, and then, what is
2: that? Why do we need to, to, something to break before we... Before we,
1: well, break? we need, I don't even think it's something to break. I think it's like we need the bandwagon. We need like, oh, no, everyone's yeah, talking about yeah, that yeah. now, so I better do the uh, same. I'll I'd,
2: be honest, I'll be guilty, I'm guilty of that as well. Like I last, you know, was I sharing about what was happening in, Af- in Afghanistan like two weeks ago? No. The thing honestly, is, it's, no not,
0: it's not ordinary people's fault. It's the, you know, mainstream media establishment mm. because it doesn't get enough coverage for some reason... You just don't know why, you know. If Palestine, not enough coverage, Afghanistan, not lot, enough coverage, the whole of the Middle East is in turmoil, mm. especially the Muslim countries. It's just not enough coverage,
2: really. Yeah. Well, you're yeah. doing really, really positive things to try and change that for our Yeah, population. both Great. of us have just mistake. been
1: so grateful to you this whole week. And every time I need an update, it's mm-hmm. been you, not. The Guardian or the BBC. Exactly. I'm going to
2: be working here for an
1: hour. Yes. Yeah, yeah, let's let's do this. Because honestly, I think I could talk to you for hours and I know that you're (laughs) very busy. So honestly, I appreciate you so much for being here.
0: I think you guys actually shared my page out, didn't you? Saying, oh, this is a guy to follow. And I think it just blew up from there.
1: So on Sunday... I put that post together just saying like what's happening af- in Afghanistan, what you need to know and like what you can do, like very, very simple. Like I think I even wrote in the post, like, don't let this be the beginning and the end of like what you know about Afghanistan. Like yeah. look at other places like your page, this page, this page, this page. And I think at that time you had like maybe 8,000 followers or something. Yeah. <laughs> and then that post went mental. And yeah, the power of social media in this moment yeah. is it's crazy. It's wild.
0: It's crazy. It's crazy. Social media has its, you know, positives and negatives. It's not regulated enough because you get so many hate comments. And the thing is, I'm used to it because I've been running a politics page as well. Mm. And I get so much hate on there. And you know, I read it, it doesn't affect me. But with, with this, because it's like personal, it's really bad. You get Taliban sympathizers. You get people who call you a liar, spreading fake news. And all you're trying to do is do some good.
1: That's why I think it was so important to hear your perspective on this, because maybe let's start from the beginning. Let's start from the fact that like I've actually followed your politics page oh, for a long no time. Way. Both Josh and I have, but I didn't know about your personal page until this week when I was like actively looking for stuff about Afghanistan. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about what this week has looked like and how you started using your personal page for this purpose.
0: Honestly, this week has been very hectic. I can't even remember when Kabul fell. I don't even remember when the whole government collapsed. It's just been very crazy. I think it was the night before Kabul fell. I saw the news and I saw CN post US intelligence says Kabul will fall within three days. And at that moment, I knew it's going to happen now. So I need to spread updates. I need to raise awareness because I'm helpless at the moment. I can't do anything else. So I went to my politics page and I thought... Oh, if I share it on there, then people will say, Why this isn't uh, UK politics? So I can't do it there. That night, I think Jalalabad fell and it was just Kabul left to take. That was the one seat that they hadn't taken. So then I started doing up- story up- updates as well as post updates on my personal page. And uh, just from there, I kind of got into the rhythm of it because I normally do this with my politics page. So it's normal to me. So I just kept on posting, kept on posting just to raise awareness, just to let people know that this is real. The Taliban are are back. They're going to take control. Millions of Afghans will die. The Azara Muslims will be ethnically cleansed once again. Shia Muslims will be beheaded. Girls who don't wear burqas, niqabs, they will be beheaded. Women's rights will no longer exist. So I had to do something. And then the morning I woke up, Kabul had fell, unfortunately. And uh, we were just all in tears. My mother was crying, her eyes out. Because as I said, we have a lot of family in Afghanistan. Most of them are all in Kabul, fortunately. So Kabul fell last, but they all haven't left the house yet. I think one of my family members, one of my aunties, her husband has only been sleeping two hours a night so he can go to the airport so he can leave the country. He's with his children and you've seen the video footage. You've seen U.S. soldiers shooting up in the air, Taliban surrounding them, hitting women, hitting children, not allowing women and children to enter Kabul airport because the U.S. obviously had to barricade the whole place, set a perimeter so no one can enter. They're all just waiting there, hoping that they get the chance to flee the country. But as I said, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. We can only sit and hope.
1: So when you're seeing these news updates, it's not just the fact that it's your country and your people, it's actually your family that are experiencing this right now.
0: Yeah, it's my family. You know, even if it wasn't my family, I'd be doing this. But the fact that it is my family, it became personal. So I knew that I couldn't just sit around and do nothing. I had to post updates. And honestly, I didn't think I would amass this amount of followers in just a few days. I thought even if a few thousand people see it, then, you know, that's all the difference that I can make. You know, if you change one person's life, it's like changing the whole world's life, you know? Honestly, like I said, I didn't believe that I would gain this many followers. There wasn't the intention to gain followers. The intention was just to spread awareness to my current following. Yeah, it's just crazy.
1: It's absolutely ballooned. Every time I was refreshing your page, it was like, thousands of new people thousands of new followers how does that feel on top of the emotional impact of what's happening in afghanistan you also have this bombardment of messages comments you know i've had that a bit in the last few days as well just a percentage of that and it's overwhelming and it's anxiety inducing right
0: yeah completely i've been feeling the same way i've been feeling feeling overwhelmed anxious because as i said i'm getting hun- i'm getting thousands of dms thousands and thousands of dms saying Please help me. My family is stuck in Kabul. My dad was an interpreter. The Taliban are going to come for him. They're going to kill him. We've already seen footage of Afghan interpreters being beaten on the streets by Taliban. We've already seen a high-ranking commander in Herat who was unfortunately executed by the Taliban when they said that they grant an am- amnesty to all those journalists, the commanders, the policemen, the interpreters, everyone who worked with Western forces. So, you know, you can't trust the word of a barbaric, wicked, evil terrorist regime. And the fact that the U.S. are even, you know, trying to negotiate with them, trying to take their word for it, it's a bit bizarre because you've been at war with these people for 20 years. There's no way you can take their word for it. They're terrorists. What if the Taliban just came into the U.S. and tried to take over? Would you try and negotiate with them? No, you wouldn't. And I think Joe Biden has a big part to play in this because there's only 2,500 US soldiers actually in Afghanistan. You have 10 times the amount of soldiers in South Korea. And it's been like that for 70 years. If you just kept a small amount of soldiers in Afghanistan, you could have kept the stability for a very, very long time. It's just... It's like Joe Biden doesn't know what he's doing. His own intelligence said Kabul will fall within three days. Surely you have to take action then. But unfortunately, we didn't see anything from Joe Biden or the West.
1: So Ristam, I just want to give a little bit of context for people who are coming to this podcast with like absolutely no knowledge of what's happening. Right. You and I have been, especially you, have just been completely immersed in what's been happening in Afghanistan the last week. But... Maybe you can give a little bit of context as to why this has happened now. You just touched on it with Joe Biden, but for anybody who who doesn't know.
0: So basically, first to start with Donald Trump, he signed the executive order for peace talks with the Taliban back in 2020 to say that US soldiers will all withdraw by September 2021, provided that there's a ceasefire between the US and the Taliban. But the Taliban started to make rapid gains back in April, and we saw tensions escalate. They just started taking more cities, more ground. But more importantly, in the last two weeks is when they took more than half of all cities in Afghanistan. And in the last two weeks, it's just essentially been just the Taliban making large gains throughout Afghanistan until they got to Kabul, which they took a couple of days ago.
1: And would you say that, that you could have seen this coming was it inevitable um,
0: actually yeah i think last year it was i saw on the news that u.s were going to wef- withdraw troops i had a couple of you know chats with my cousins who, in afghanistan and i said look the troops are withdrawing i think it's time to get out of afghanistan i think i think the taliban could make a resurgence so i think i think it's going to happen especially when you have uh, corrupt government officials in power you know governors who negotiated deals the taliban of surrender not a single bullet was fired they didn't even fight back it's there's no words for it really you know corruption is rife throughout afghanistan we know that but to not even fire back for your people to take millions of dollars of pounds you know that's been reported in afghanistan that these governors took to surrender it was reported that ashraf ghani he took 169 million dollars onto his plane to flee afghanistan he there wasn't even a fight really so i don't know he
1: just abandoned his people
0: yeah he just abandoned his people and And took the money took the money that's it
1: and what does taliban rule actually mean for the people in afghanistan
0: well firstly it means women's rights no longer exist it means girls will no longer have an education they said that if you wear a hijab, it's adequate. But we all you know that's a complete lie. You can't trust the Taliban. It means that Shia Muslims will be executed for just being a Shia Muslim. It means the Hazara ethnic minority in Afghanistan will be ethnically cleansed, like we saw back in 1997 to, t- to 2001. It means that girls won't even be able to leave the house. So my parents were in Afghanistan back in 1997. And my mom told me she was at the time 15, 16. She said that her dad didn't let her or her sisters leave the house for three months until they seek refuge in Pakistan. Do you know how crazy that is? Do you know what kind of impact that has on your mental health? My father told me the day that the Taliban took over in 96, when they hung the former president, Dr. Najib, He was below Najib's body where they hanged him. He didn't even know it was Dr. Najib. He said there were cigarettes stuffed into his fingernails. There was dollars shoved up his nose. The back of his head was missing. He was unrecognizable. And he said it was only until he got home he found out that was Dr. Najib and his brother that was hanging below him. Literally a meter away from my dad. They would take little boys forcefully, train them to become Taliban militants. They would take young girls, as young as 12, to be married to Taliban militants, to be used as sex slaves. It's just terrible. There's no word to describe the situation back home and what will happen. All we can do is take the Taliban's word for it. And hopefully they respect the woman's rights and they don't harm anyone. But from the footage you've already seen, they've been executing commanders. They've been executing journalists. They've killed a woman who wasn't wearing a niqab for not wearing a niqab. It's, it's bizarre. I just, I just hope that if my family can't seek asylum, if the people of Afghanistan can't flee, that the Taliban at least respect the human rights of the Afghan people. And their safety is number one for me, 100%.
1: Yeah, because the Taliban, you know, have been doing these press conferences, sharing these updates about being there for the people, the people of Afghanistan, and kind of trying to flip this narrative of like, Taliban bad, US good, right? And maybe it's not that simple that there's good and bad What would you say to people that might say the Taliban have changed? This could be a good thing for the future of Afghanistan.
0: I would say to them, if Hitler, say Hitler came back after 1945, he hid in the mountains for 20 years and came back, staged a military coup and took over and said, don't worry guys, I've changed. Even though I've killed 6 million Jews during the Holocaust and hundreds of millions of people during the war I've changed. Don't worry, guys. I respect human rights. That's how bizarre it is for people to believe that the Taliban have changed. You've got to remember, this is the same Taliban that have been carrying out suicide bombings in Afghanistan for the past 20 years. This is the same Taliban that have killed millions of Afghans since 1996. This is the same Taliban that just in November in 2020 shot up Kabul University and killed 55 students. The same Taliban that beheaded six-year-old shukriya for being a shia muslim the same taliban that would behead little girls young women for not wearing a burqa in the streets the same taliban that who would behead women for not being accompanied by a male it's it's crazy to think that the taliban have changed to take the word for it for the western media to be giving them the med- media attention the press conferences to assure the West, the people in the West, that the Taliban have changed. They haven't changed. I'm just really struggling to put this in words because I'm really emotional.
1: You speak about this very well, and uh, that was very powerful, and I, I could not agree with you more. Would you be happy to tell us a little bit about your family and why they left Afghanistan um, and, and, and their journey to the UK?
0: Uh Yeah, so my mom's dad, he, well, he was thankfully wealthy. That's the only reason they got out of Kabul. My dad actually lived right across the street. They were basically neighbors. And they're, my dad's childhood sweetheart. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And my dad's dad and my mom's dad, they were good friends. And my dad really liked my mom since he was a young boy. They got married, I think, in 99. Once they fled to Pakistan... I don't know the exact journey because my parents never speak about this, but I do know that they nearly died trying to get to the UK. I was in my mother's stomach when she came to Scotland in the UK and she was a couple of seconds away from dying with my eldest brother. He was two at the time. He was just a child and he still remembers that moment when he thought he was going to die. And thankfully, they were, they were found by the UK officials. I don't know the exact details on how they got here, what they experienced. I do know that even though they don't speak about it, they suffer from it a lot. With a lot of Afghans, they don't talk about uh, mental health. They don't talk about PTSD and stuff like this. But my dad, he said um, back in 1996 or it was 97, the Taliban came to his house And they wanted to take his dad. My dad, I think he was 17, 18, and he begged the Taliban, he said, No, please take me, take me, don't take my dad. They took away my dad. He was imprisoned by the Taliban. He was tortured, he was whipped. Till this day, he's got a problem with his right leg. He can't walk properly, but when he's sleeping, sometimes it twitches. He saw people killed in front of him when he was in prison. But I think. My mum was fortunate that she wasn't taken by the Taliban because, as I said, my granddad didn't let any of her daughters leave the house for three or, three or four months until they went to Pakistan. None of the Taliban militants thought there were any girls in that house. That's how that's how protective my granddad was. Unfortunately, I, I never got the chance to meet him because he died in, I think, 2006 or 2007. And the first time I went to Afghanistan, I think, was in 2007.
1: So he was still in Afghanistan. He didn't go to Pakistan.
0: No, no. no. So um, he, the whole family went to Pakistan. But when the US took over, the Taliban were no longer in control. They moved back to Afghanistan
1: it was after that that then your parents left afghanistan and did the journey overland with your big brother who was like two and your pregnant mum with you
0: yeah I think once they went to pakistan I think from there my dad went to the netherlands that's
1: where my mum's from
0: oh. <laughs> <laughs> and from there i think they came to the uk very dangerous journey as they told me mm. many times whenever i was a school kid and i wouldn't do my schoolwork they'll say do you know how hard it was for me to get to this country? You should be grateful that you're here. There's young boys stuck in Afghanistan. We made it such a dangerous journey. We don't waste this opportunity. And I always took that to heart. I knew from then I couldn't waste my life. I have to become someone. I have to do something. I need to cause change in the world. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing.
1: Well, I must be very proud of you.
0: Oh, they, yeah, I, I think so. Even though they never really say it. Yeah, I think they are.
1: How are your mom and dad doing at the moment?
0: My mom, she's crying a lot. Obviously, it's, it's her sisters. Yeah. It's her younger sisters as well. You know, They have children, her nieces. She's not holding up well. My dad, I'm not quite sure. He doesn't really show it, but I know... They're both going through a lot of stuff. They've already been through this stuff. They've experienced it firsthand. Mm -hmm. So they know what people back home are actually experiencing. My mum, she hasn't been back to Afghanistan, obviously, since we were there. I think it was 2016, 2015. And man, when you get off the plane, when you've landed, it's that moment you look up in the sky, you breathe in the air, and you think, this is where I belong. And... We haven't had that feeling for five years now. My grandma, she tragically passed away just a few days before the coronavirus lockdown. Mm. And my mom couldn't go to her funeral. She still hasn't been to her gravestone. And it looks like she won't be going there for, I don't know how many more years because of Taliban rule. Even then, we knew it was dangerous to go. I think it will have the worst effect on my mom. She suffered a lot. She hadn't seen her mum for five years, and now she won't be able, maybe never, never be able to go to her headstone and visit her mum.
1: Do you think that they would, your mum and dad, in a dream scenario, like to go back there one day?
0: Yeah, they they bought a flat back there. It's in the green zone in Kabul, Mm -hmm. so it's like the safest place, basically a few miles away from the presidential palace. Mm -hmm. So it's really safe that they said, uh, once you guys finish from university, your financially stable, we're going to come back here and we're going to just retire. They, they wanted to go back, but now it seems like it's never going to happen. D- they can't fulfill their retirement dreams to go back to Afghanistan and just live there peacefully.
1: Well, if we've learned anything this week, it's like, we never know what will happen. So exactly. let's still pray for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to your story. How did all this start for you? How did you start your page, UK Fact Check Politics?
0: I was always watching the news on politics since I was 13. And then once I was in year 13, I thought, okay, I really want to do something in the world. I love politics. What do I do? And I had a conversation with a couple of friends. Uh, we all sat in McDonald's actually. <laughs> Saying, okay, what should I do? Um, he was like, oh, you can make an Instagram page. I was thinking, yeah, that's a good idea. One, one of these friends, he, he ran an Instagram page then. It was about rap. And he gave me a few tips. It was November 2020. So this was a couple of weeks before the Christmas elections. So from there, I went home. I ate dinner. I changed my clothes. I studied. I remember that day quite well, actually. I think it was around 7 o'clock. I opened my laptop up. I was like, okay, it's time to make up my account. And so I was thinking, what should I name this account? And within the first minute I came up with the name UK Fact Check Politics, and I made the account, I made the worst profile picture ever.
1: <laughs> Your personal profile picture, that's now you with Jeremy Corbyn, right? Yeah. And that is like the sickest picture ever. But anyway, I digress, go back to the story.
0: <laughs> but I made the worst profile picture ever. It was like a white background with a magnifying glass, and it had UK Fact Check Politics on it. But I didn't really care. I thought, you know, just do it. Let's get started. And from there, I started to post about politics, the latest news. Um, I started to make my own posts as well, explaining stuff, you know, Labour Party policies, Conservative Party policies, what they've done, what the Conservative Party, you know, the current government have done and stuff like that. And I think it grew to around 3,000 following. What I did from there was because I had A-level exams that year. I had to stop running the page and I put all my effort in my exams only for coronavirus to come. <laughs> my exams were canceled and it was only during Ramadan that year. I thought, okay, I need to start doing this again. I need to start doing what I love again. And so from there I gained a huge amount of following until September when I had 20,000 followers in September, 2020 mm-hmm. from September to December was crazy. It went to 100,000 and then from December 2020 to, I think it was June this year, it hit 200,000, yesterday it hit 300,000. For me, it's not really a job because I love what I'm doing. It takes a huge amount of my day, maybe if I'm honest, five or six hours a day to do it. I don't get paid to do it. I've got a Patreon, but that only gets like £190 a month if your job is something that you love it's not really a job and for me it's, it's like a dream to be honest ever since i was a child i would say i know it sounds like cliche but i'd always wanted to be an mp i'd always hope maybe someday i'd have like a position in government maybe one day i would be prime minister or something along those lines this is why i started uk fact check politics and i'm doing what i'm doing today <laughs>
1: Well, I think you do a much better job than our current prime minister. I have to say <laughs> I'd vote for you for sure. I mean, you're doing an amazing job. And I do just want to reiterate that like, I know how much time social media t- takes. Like I might post one post a day and probably not even that, but the amount of time and effort and energy that this takes, you know, it is more than a full time job. It's 24 seven. There's no opportunity to switch off. And yeah, I commend you so much for that because it has been a real source of. Clear, concise, accessible information for me. This page that we're talking about since last year, probably end of last year when I found it and your personal page this week. Let's go back to talking about that a little bit because the other thing that I wanted to ask you about was the responsibility of being that source of information for people. How do you kind of filter what you're putting out? How do you decide what you do share and what you don't share? How do you approach your own bias?
0: It's a huge responsibility on my shoulders. I try not to be biased, but sometimes I can't help it. I think that we have too many right-wing newspapers and I think, okay, my page is left-wing, but what's wrong with that? We have the Sun, we have the Daily Mail, the Daily Express, the Telegraph. I always tell myself that if I mislead people on my page purposely, then I'm no better than the Daily Mail. Mm -hmm. Those are the principles that I try and stick by. To be pro-refugee, to be pro-immigration, to end homelessness, to be a socialist. I know this might be controversial, controversial to say, but it's just common sense. Daily Mail, The Sun, The Telegraph, The Daily Express, every single day, they're drilling this ridiculous ideology that refugees are the guys you need to be scared of, that billionaires are the good people here. It's the billionaires that don't pay their taxes. That's a fact. If billionaires paid their taxes, we would have zero homeless. And forget about the billionaires in this case. If the government wanted to end homelessness right now, they could do it. We've seen the billions of billions of pounds that they've spent on dodgy PPE contracts, contracts for their mates through WhatsApp. You know how bizarre that is? And I think that people might not know this, but this government is as corrupt as any of the governments you see in the Middle East, like Afghanistan I'm talking about, Nigeria I'm talking about, they like to say Nigeria are so corrupt, oh Afghanistan are so corrupt. I think they ought to take a look in the mirror, if I'm honest. I've had so many DMs saying, look, I was right-wing before I came onto your page and you've completely converted me to a leftist. <laughs> I had one DM actually saying he converted, he was right-wing initially, then he converted, he's left-wing now, a socialist. Then he converted 12 other of his right-wing friends to, you know, socialist, left-wing. And it's crazy. You know, I, I never thought that my page would change the way people think, the perspective on things. And I'm just so happy it has
1: that's amazing that's huge and like you don't even know the impact that you're having they're just the people that are dming you and telling you but exactly for sure there are hundreds of thousands of people it's a ripple effect that this is even if someone sees something and has a conversation with a friend who has a conversation with a friend like that's huge and you can't even measure it
0: it just goes to show you can be anyone and you can just do it get up form a plan and if you really, really want to get it done, just fucking do it.
1: Now that you're also sharing from your personal page, from your your name, is there a level of like uh, safety that you worry about? Especially this week when it comes to the Taliban and your family and like putting this viewpoint out there.
0: To be honest. I don't really care for my own safety i think my parents are more worried the footage that i've seen throughout this past week is horrifying even watching that footage it's it's crazy people are so scared of the taliban that they had clinged onto planes that went thousands of feet in the air hoping that this plane would land just anywhere but Afghanistan, somewhere safe. When fear overrides logic, then you know how brutal, how barbaric, how wicked the Taliban regime is. And we saw the remains of an Afghan civilian be found in...
1: The landing gear of the plane in yeah, Qatar. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: we saw an Afghan clinging onto a C17 American plane plane which was thousands of feet in the air. I don't know if mm. people have seen it, but I didn't share the content because it's just too harrowing. Harrowing to see, you know, it's too gruesome. Mm. I couldn't share it because if people see his video, they would be horrified. He was hanging, essentially hanging onto the plane. He was still hanging onto it, but by this time I'm pretty sure he was dead, and you could see his this poor, this poor guy's body, just on the on like the wing of the plane, smacking against the plane, and when people resort to things like this, you know, like the Taliban, mm-hmm. as I said, wicked, barbaric, inhuman. Yes,
1: yeah, like if it's that dangerous to get out of Kabul, imagine what life, how dangerous it is to yeah, live in Kabul right exactly. now. I just posted about this 19 year old boy, Mm -hmm. this promising footballer, got his whole life ahead of him. And he was one of the people that fell from the plane. And yeah, it just absolutely breaks my heart. That could have been one of my brothers. He's a kid, same age as you, right?
0: Yeah, same age as me. Could have been me. It could have been me. It could have been any of my cousins back at home. In 10 years' time, in 20 years' time, when we come back to this podcast, when we come back to this f- footage, in history, this will be one of the most bizarre events that ever took place. Indescribable, in- inexplicable, horrifying.
1: Is there anything that you've seen this week that has like really stood out to you or stuck with you?
0: the people clinging onto the planes, the scenes that we saw in Kabul airport, just hundreds of people running on the tarmac, just watching that footage horrified me, kept me up at night. I couldn't sleep. I think this past week, every single night I've only had four hours worth of sleep. Normally I can just sleep. Normally I'm... I'm you're East. still a teenager? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that will change.
0: Yeah, I can sleep for hours. and then, But this... Is just different level. I saw a f- some footage of the um, a high ranking commander in Harat. He was executed. Hundreds of bullets were put into him. He was blindfolded. The the poor man. I, d- I don't know. Maybe his family saw that he died online. Like they saw this video. I'm not sure because I saw it online. That's how I found out. They just put hundreds of bullets into him. And I saw that footage. I wish I never clicked on it. But obviously I had to I have to verify, is this mm-hmm. true? Because if I put something that isn't true, then you have all these people saying, yeah. what kind of person what kind of journalists are you giving us false information?
1: I mean, talking of bizarre, for me, it's been um when you posted the taliban in the (laughs) gym at the presidential palace uh on a trampoline i mean there's kind of a dry humor to some of your um captions as well where you literally just state what is happening but it is the bizarreness of like what the fuck are we actually seeing unfold here you know um and then for, for me as well it was the um the girls singing on the runway.
0: Oh yeah, I forgot about that. That was, it was not only sad, but it was beautiful as well. Mm -hmm. You know, just listening to them sing, you could feel the pain in their voices, the sorrow, the sadness. I think that footage made me cry as well, as long as, as well as the people clinging onto the plane. Mm -hmm. And um, I hope whoever those girls are, I hope that they found safe passage.
1: I hope so too. The more that you know, the more that you read, the more that you see, how does that make you feel?
0: Honestly, it's just, it's inexplicable, really. My mental health hasn't been great. I'm very anxious, you know, what I see in the news next. Is my mum going to get that phone call that her brother or her sister has passed away due to the Taliban rule? Even, like, right now, I was thinking of not coming here because I thought that I wouldn't be in the right emotional state to do this podcast and I wouldn't be at my best. But I thought I, ha- I had to come here because if I didn't, then I'd just be sitting at home reporting and constantly constantly on my phone looking at the news. I thought it would be a great way for me to voice my opinion. It's really nice that I've met you as well. And um, I think it was yesterday we had like a football session my brother he normally goes football and um i was in the car and after you finished the game i think i got a phone call from my mum, and she got sent a video from her sister the taliban knocked on a couple of neighbors neighbors of theirs and they were screaming they were shouting i think one of the neighbors was in the army and uh, they they took they took him we don't know if they took their daughters or not and she, she she was crying on the phone and i was just thinking what what more can i do you know i've emailed my mp because i know that there's a higher chance that my family won't be granted asylum because of the sheer demand the refugees applying for asylum at the moment and the uk aren't taking enough it's really upsetting because you don't know what's going to happen next there's just so much uncertainty and in that car, on the way home, after the phone call, I was just having a conversation with my brother, and then just the uh, tears started come, you know, trickling down my cheeks, and um, I just cried like a child in the car, and I couldn't stop. It was just, it's a buildup of emotions. It keeps on rising and rising and rising, and you try not to cry. You try to be strong for your parents, for your brother, and for your, your aunts. And then it's just that one thing that just happens. And then you just can't stop crying. I was crying for like half an hour. It was like an explosion of emotions all at once. I was feeling so overwhelmed. And I don't talk about this with my parents. I'm not a very open person. It's just, it's just really difficult. Unless you actually have people stuck there or family there it's really hard to understand that's why so many people over here especially the right they're not compassionate at all they say well why don't they fight for the country why are they coming to my country why don't they just stay in afghanistan oh great now so many refugees are going to come they're going to take my jobs which is completely untrue you know we're not the enemies here we just want to have a peaceful life in Afghanistan there's been wars not even since 1979 before that there was British occupation there was proxy wars <sighs> the people of Afghanistan have suffered too much in the past 40 50 years it, it's just unfair we don't deserve this no one deserves this in the 70s we were just like a normal country you know women could wear whatever they wanted they could dress however they wanted little kids could play in the street carefree women had jobs just the war has taken so many lives and displaced so many and well my parents didn't think that 20 years later having fled afghanistan in 97 afghanistan will be in the same position
1: i'm so grateful that you had an opportunity to release yesterday and keep finding those opportunities to like get away from your phone, play football. You have taken a lot on board and you're doing a really fucking amazing job and you've been a resource for thousands and thousands of people. If we're talking UK specific, how we have treated asylum seekers, especially Afghan asylum seekers... In the last few years, I noted down that we've deported 15,755 people to Kabul since 2008. And I've met lots of people over the years in that position that are due to be deported. Translators with the British Army um, and that have literally just been like turned away at the door. Shall we talk a little bit about what the UK's stance is and and what you think about that and what they could be doing better?
0: Essentially, the UK stance is... We don't have room for you in this country. If you, say, are already in a safe country, you should just stay there. It doesn't matter if you have no family there. You have no income there. We don't care. Just stay there. And if you actually look at the statistics out of the entire G7, the UK takes the least amount of refugees. So essentially what the rights argument is, is that there's not enough land here. There's not enough houses here. But only eight percent of the land in the UK has only actually been built on, which is crazy. Two hundred sixty thousand plus homes are empty, most of them in London, owned by wealthy billionaires, millionaires who hold them as assets, who hope those assets grow in value throughout the years. And one of the most hypocritical things that the right always pushes onto us is saying we don't have space for refugees. Look at all our homeless. Look at all our veterans on the streets. Well, if you actually cared about those veterans and homeless, the government will build houses for them. They will bring out laws so that houses cannot be seen empty, for, say, for more than six months. This is just like an example I'm giving. It's not like a policy that I think should be in place, but something along those lines. Mm-hmm.
1: Basically, point the finger at this small group of vulnerable people over there to distract you from like, what's actually the threat. Pointing the finger at refugees crossing the channel in tiny numbers as if, like, that's something that we should fear or something that we should be scared of. Do you think there are any other countries doing a better job of this or leading by example?
0: 100%. Tajikistan, I think it was yesterday, announced they'll be taking 170,000 plus refugees right now. And they're such a small country. It's amazing how different governments can be so compassionate. Understanding, and I've seen a lot of people argue this, saying that, "Oh, why doesn't the Afghan people go to their fellow Muslim countries? Pakistan, one point two million Afghan refugees. After that, I think it's Iran, eight hundred thousand Afghan refugees, and then Tajikistan, hundreds of thousands of refugees." And to put this into perspective, if say the UK took in twenty thousand refugees right now. That would only amount to 30 people per constituency in the UK. <laughs> and that that's literally nothing. That, that, it doesn't cost that amount they spent on PPE contracts to help these refugees. And even when the refugees come here, the refugees don't want to sit at home and do nothing. They want to go work. They want to provide the lives that they didn't have for their children which my parents have been doing tirelessly. My uncles who came here have been doing tirelessly. My auntie, who's been doing this tirelessly,
1: I could not agree with that more. Anyone who made it to this country via these difficult journeys is a hero. They have resilience and, you know, perseverance that any employer would want. It's been proven that economically uh, migration is a good thing. Refugees arriving to our country are a good thing. People said to me in Calais, if they made a factory here, we would work in it. We're just sitting here, not doing anything. Doctors, lawyers, people who are really educated and high up in their fields. That's such a great point to make that like men not wanting handouts. They're just wanting an opportunity to be able to reach their potential.
0: Even if refugees do have public recourse to money, that's only £37.75 a week. That's nothing.
1: And deporting people is really expensive. Yeah. And the idea of like having these offshore processing centres, that's also crazily expensive. So... Don't use that money to deport people, use that money to support people at the beginning so that they can then put money back into our economy.
0: I've been looking online everywhere for my family to apply as, for asylum through Canada, through the UK, through the US, and I've struggled so much just to find these forms. And I think that, especially in the UK, they've made this process incredibly difficult on mm-hmm. purpose, mm-hmm, sure. so people can't find these forms and apply for asylum easily it took me three days I went through the entire government website I couldn't find anything for people actually living in Afghanistan the forms so I can send to my family because obviously you know that the UK embassy is shut there, the number over there is dead and the only way you can try and seek asylum is to go and stand outside the airport which they won't even let you in now because it's been completely barricaded these processes have been made incredibly difficult for a reason Mm -hmm because of our government's views on refugees because you know refugees are the enemy
1: we have a hostile environment policy it's said in the very title i've got one last question that a lot of people are asking me and i'm sure that they're asking you too which is how can i help what do you say to people who ask you what can i what can i do
0: I've actually received so many messages. What can I do? How can I help? I'd say, number one, any country you live in, email your local uh, MP or senator or politician, whatever it is. Constantly put pressure on them to speak about Afghanistan. Ask them what they're doing to help the people of Afghanistan. Secondly, I'd say, you can donate to a a shit ton of charities. Number three, I'd say, is... The most important, spread awareness. Content creators who post out on Instagram, Twitter, whoever it is, if you can just share it. It takes literally less than a second. Put it on your story or retweet it or whatever. I think those are the main three things. I think those are the most important. Attend protests. If you see protests, attend them. Sign petitions.
1: Yeah, varying degrees that you can get involved. But even sharing a post. You know, even starting these conversations with the people around you, making sure that you're educated. I watched this amazing three-part documentary a few years ago called Afghanistan, the Great Game on YouTube. Have you seen it?
0: Uh, No, I haven't.
1: You probably know it all anyway, but it gave a real amazing insight into the history of Afghanistan. And I just hope that if anything comes out of this week, it's that people in the UK and internationally have more awareness of what has happened and what is happening to Afghan people.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I hope this podcast that we do, it reaches a lot of people. People listen to this and they take on board what we've said. And I hope that even though the Taliban are in charge, I know this is bizarre to say, I hope that they do respect human rights. They do respect women's rights, even though I highly doubt it because we've seen already in reports and Herat in um, Kandahar that little girls have been turned away from school saying you can no longer come here. Women that attend the University University of Herat have been said you can't come in as well. Women have been replaced in the Bank of Herat and Kandahar. Uh, I think it was Azizi Bank. Um, they've said you've lost your job you're being replaced by men. So even though these things have happened I'm just hoping I'm being optimistic that that isn't the same regime that it was in 96, 2001. Because I, I, I don't see Western forces interfering. We don't want another, we don't want another wall. Another wall. We, we just want peace. It's just so tiring. It's constant, endless war. Majority of Afghans just want peace. But even though they want peace, they don't want the Taliban, of course.
1: I'm just so grateful to you for just continuing to be a voice for the afghan people and for educating and spreading awareness because i truly believe that that is the first step to change
0: yeah me too and i want to thank you as well for sharing my content for uh you know telling people to follow me this is where the regular updates are and thank you for raising awareness as well you know you don't have to do what you're doing but you do it because you care and i think that's the most important part
1: So what can you do to support Afghanistan and its people? Well, first of all, follow Rastam at rastamwahab underscore on Instagram. You can also find lots of resources and places to donate, write to your MP and even where to foster or welcome refugees into your home over at our page at the Worldwide Tribe. Whilst you're there, let us know your thoughts on this episode and what you'd like to hear more of on this podcast. To support the podcast, please tell your friends to listen. You can also rate it and review it on your podcasting app. The more people who come on this journey with us, the more connected we all become and the more unite as one worldwide tribe. A big shout out to Alexander Wells at alexanderwells.co.uk for our audio production and original score and to Ez Stone for mixing this episode.